Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. When I was in college, uh, I served at a camp down in the Ozarks in southwest Missouri. And I remember one time uh, we took uh, high school students spelunking or caving or whatever you want to call it. And so we loaded on this 15-passenger van and headed out, and they told us to wear our dirty jeans and dirty shirt. And so we show up with these old jeans and old shirts, and we go into the cave, and it's pretty normal. You're just walking and enjoying and seeing how beautiful it is and then how dark it is. They gave us hats with, 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 uh, with uh, flashlights on it, and so we could see everything that was going on. But as we went into the cave, um, it started to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we went from walking to kind of hunching over to crawling to on four, on four, on our hands and knees to, to crawling on our bellies uh, to the point where it was so tight. Uh, don't mean to make you claustrophobic, but you literally just had to put your hands in front of you and turn your head to the side and just shimmy through this opening um, because on the other side was the exit to the cave. Uh, there was actually one point in it where we got to uh, this spot where there was a rock in front of you and then water below, and you actually, <coughs> excuse me, had to go below the water and up on the other side to get out. And, and as you're crawling through this cave, it's just covered in mud and clay and guano, if you know what that is. And so you're crawling through all this stuff. And so when we get out to the other side, uh, and we finally get exposed to daylight, we see just how muddy and how dirty we are. I mean, we're just covered in filth. Um, we can't even tell what the color of our skin is. I mean, it's that bad. And, and so it's one of those times where you just, you know, you get in the car, you head back, you take off your clothes, you throw them in the trash, and then you take a shower, right, just to, just to clean off. And, and it's one of those times where a week later, you're still getting mud out of your hair and out of your ears and things like that. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, have you ever been that dirty? Uh, have you ever, have you ever uh, cleaned out a chimney <laughs> or, or played sports in a downpour and there's just mud everywhere and you are just filthy? Have you ever experienced that? It's kind of fun, isn't it? I think it is. The good news is that uh, no matter how dirty you get, you can always wash yourself off in a shower. Uh, it may take five showers, but eventually you get clean. But what happens if your soul is dirty? What if you have a filthy soul? How do you get that clean? Have you ever felt like you had a filthy soul, like you were just dirty? Maybe because you have crossed physical boundaries with a boy or a girl that you knew was inappropriate. Maybe because of an addiction to alcohol or drugs or shopping or gambling. Maybe because of the way that you have lashed out at your wife or your husband or your children. Maybe it's because you have been cheating on a test or lying to your parents. Maybe it's because you live a secret online life that nobody else knows about. 
Maybe it's because of that one time that you did that one thing that you never want anyone to know. Can I be honest with you? There are many times I feel dirty inside. And because of that, I have thought, how can I be clean? I can't take a shower to wash it off. My soul is stained. There's nothing I can do to clean myself up. You know, I'm guessing some of you are here today thinking, I'm not worthy even to be here because I'm so dirty, because I'm so stained with sin. And you know what? There's nothing we can do about it. But the good news is that there is one who is able and willing to clean your dirty soul. If you would please open up to Mark chapter one. Again, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one from the back. You'll need it. Mark chapter one, it is page 837 in the Red Bible. This is gonna be a fight to get through this for me today. Um, Just prior to this passage, Jesus was casting out demons, healing the sick, sick, communing with the Father in prayer. Um, But most of all, his top priority was to preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus had a ministry of word and of deed, of word and of deed, of word and of deed, and they went together so that the deeds, the miracles that he performed, confirmed the words that he was speaking about the good news of the kingdom of God. And that continues today in today's passage. So look with me. Mark chapter one, we'll read verse 40 through chapter two, verse 12. Mark one, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they lit down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we turn into your word today, may we hear it afresh. May we wonder at it afresh. May it be cleansing to our souls as we hear the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God and we see it illustrated and confirmed by your miracles. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are many ways that we try to deal with a dirty soul. Sometimes we try to justify our sins saying, you know, God made me this way or because I was in this situation, I had no other choice. Sometimes we try to minimize our sin. We say, you know, at least I'm not Hitler, right? Like Hitler is now the new measuring mark of morality for some reason. Sometimes we try to blame shift our sin and say, you know, if my dad wasn't so mean or if my wife did this or if my parents did this or my kids did this, then I wouldn't have done this. And so it's really their fault. We are experts. We are experts at trying to justify our sin and minimize our sin or blame shift our sin. And while it provides some temporary reprieve of our guilt and shame, deep down inside, buried deep inside, we know, we know we are dirty. And so we reach out for self-help books or other ways to medicate because we know we are dirty, but we long to be clean. And the good news is that God sent one who has come to give us deep soul cleansing this morning. Deep soul cleansing that will free you to breathe and to live and to thrive and even to smile and to laugh and to rejoice because he can make you clean. This is good news for all of us. So really just two two things this morning. The first is this. Jesus is able and willing to make you clean. Yes, even you clean. Look at verse 40 with me in chapter one. It says, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. I know that leprosy is something that we are not very accustomed to. I've never seen a leprous person in person. Um, it doesn't really exist much in America, but it still does exist throughout the world today. As a matter of fact, 127,000 new cases were reported in the year 2020. Leprosy is a skin and nerve disease that rots away your skin. I'm going to show you a picture of a leper. It's not the most disturbing picture. I didn't want to do that to you. But this is a picture of someone who has leprosy. There are far worse pictures than that, uh, pictures that honestly would probably make you gag. But it is an 
awful and disgusting disease. And so it was so prevalent in the time of Jesus um, that they would actually send the lepers out and they would turn away from them and they would they'd put them in their own colonies away from the community. You see, it was so hideous, hideous and so repulsive that people would turn away from them. And that's, that's what they did. You can see here a picture of a leper colony. I mean, just a picture of, of lepers that had been gathered together, not in the time of Jesus, they didn't have cameras in, but, but even today there are leper colonies to keep others from getting infected by the leprosy. These lepers, many times, um, would, would be healed. Um, they, leprosy is actually kind of an umbrella term to cover 72 different skin diseases, at least that. And so some of those skin diseases were temporary. And so when they were healed, they would come back and be restored to the community. But for many of these people, this was truly leprosy as we think about it, and it was uncurable. And so they would be cast away, never again to hold their children, never again to kiss their mom or their dad or their spouse or their kids cast away to never again enjoy a meal with their friends and their family. They would have to scavenge for food and they were forbidden to come in contact with clean people. And when they came into town, they'd have to come into town with these leper clappers that they would slap or they would take a bell. And they would have to ring the bell when they came into the town. And they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean so that all the people would disperse, so that mothers and fathers would cover their children's eyes, and they would yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. They were shunned, cast away, left for dead. And so when we get to verse 40, and it says, and a leper came to him, this should startle us. This is an audacious provocative, offensive, and dangerous move on the behalf of this leper. And it says, imploring him, imploring Jesus and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, if you were in the crowd at that time, you might have expected Jesus to rebuke this man, to send this man away. This man could infect Jesus and not only jeopardize Jesus's life, but his ministry. Furthermore, it would make Jesus ceremonially unclean, meaning Jesus could no longer go into the temple or into the synagogues. This is what Jesus was dealing with in this moment. You know, maybe you have experienced a leprosy of the soul in which you have seen the darkness and deformity and depravity of your soul. Your sin maybe has cut you off from a relationship with family members or with friends or with a community of believers. Maybe you have turned away from these people and pursued sin. Maybe you feel dirty even again as you come into a church and inside your soul you are shouting, unclean, 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 I'm so unclean. I don't deserve to be in this place with these people before this God. If this is you, rejoice with me in verse 41. It says, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand, and get this, touched him. Jesus touched him. 
Jesus did not need to touch this man. Jesus could have healed him with a word from a distance as he'd done with so many others. And yet Jesus moved with compassion and mercy and pity and grace, touched this man who probably had not been touched by a clean person in who knows how long. Jesus touched the man. And remember the man said, hey, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And immediately it says in verse 42, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Here is the glory and the wonder of this encounter. Throughout the history of the world up to this point in time, whenever a healthy person came in contact with a leper, the leper would make the clean person unclean. Right, it's like a mud ball and a white t-shirt. If you put a mud ball against a white t-shirt, the mud ball's gonna win 100 out of 100 times. It's gonna make the white t-shirt unclean, right? The white t-shirt never makes the mud ball clean. The unclean mud ball always makes the clean t-shirt unclean. Throughout the history of the world, the unclean person always made the clean person unclean. Until now, until this encounter, in which the clean one, Jesus Christ, is not made unclean by this leper, but he reverses the effects of the fall and he makes the leper clean, praise God. This is the majesty and glory and power of Jesus that he, the clean one, can make unclean people clean. Now, how good of news is this? Well, let's look at the leper's response. Verse 43, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So in the Old Testament in Leviticus 14, there is this long process of restoring a clean leper back into the worshiping community of the people of God. Uh, it's a lot of detail. I won't bore you with it all, but it is to ensure that that person is 100% clean, that there's no longer leprosy in them. Um, and it's also, again, to restore them to the people of God and to the worship of God. And so Jesus says, go do this as the scripture commands you. But Jesus also says, please do not tell anyone who did this to you. Don't go tell anyone that I made you clean, that I healed your leprosy. And the reason why Jesus says this, it seems odd to us, right? If you're trying to create a movement, why don't you want them to spread the word? Well, Jesus doesn't want them to do this. One reason is because Jesus has primarily come to preach the good news of the gospel. He has come to reverse the effects by healing people, but primarily proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he knows if word gets out, he won't be able to go and teach anymore. He won't be able to go into cities and teach. And that's exactly what we see here in verse 45. It says, but he, the, the healed leopard, went out and began to talk freely about it. I mean, how could you not? How could you not? And it spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. The joy of this man's healing was too much for him to contain. He could not help but tell others of how Jesus had cleansed him and given him new life. Now, what does this story have to do with us? Well, of course, there is a spiritual component that is being illustrated in this passage. 
All of us have been born, as I said, with leprosy of the soul. Our souls are dirty, deformed, and filled with sin and shame. And yet Jesus, like the leper, in humility, and yet if you come to Jesus like the leper in humility and ask Jesus to make you clean, he will. 100% of the time. Any who come to Jesus by faith and say, make me clean, Jesus promises to do that. I can say that because in 1 John 1, 9, it says this. I believe it's up on the screen. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse. That's the same word used in the story of the leper. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise from God that he will not be stingy. He will not be stingy with his cleansing power. He is willing. He is able to make you clean. And so let me ask you, have you come to him? Have you come to him? Have you confessed your sin, your dirtiness? Have you stopped suppressing it and pushing it down, but pulled it up and examined it and highlighted it and lifted it up to the Lord and said, Lord, I am so dirty. Make me clean. He promises through Jesus, he will. The first time, the 99th time, he will make you clean. And then we have this great privilege. Unlike the leopard, we're not forbidden to go and tell others. Jesus says, go and tell the world that I can make them clean. So for the lepers, here's the good news. Jesus is willing and able to make you clean, even you. But the good news doesn't stop there. Not only does he cleanse us and, and take our sin and our dirt and our filth and he doesn't just put it in a box and save it for later to bring it in judgment against us. He not only cleanses us, but Jesus also forgives us our sins. Look at verse one of chapter two with me. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. We're reminded here in verse one that Capernaum is his home base during his three years of ministry in Galilee. And, and while he is at home, people are crowding in to get close to him. And I think this is so important because I think most of us think of Jesus as this like super religious guy that's just really boring and would be a buzzkill and no one would want to have him at his party. But what you see is that wherever Jesus goes, people are just crowding in around him. They're hanging on every word that he says. I mean, if Jesus was walking the earth today, you would walk 100 miles to go see him. And you'd probably be a mile away from him because the crowds would be so great. This is how magnetic Jesus is. And so Jesus is in this house and it is packed out. And we get to verse three. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic, I meaning he can't walk, carried by four men. And when, <coughs> excuse me, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they lit down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, it could be that, that they were so desperate that they ripped off part of the roof. It could be that the roof had a hatch that opened up to let the heat out of the house. Either way, you could imagine how disruptive this would have been. 
as the house, as the roof is opened up and particles fall down and Jesus' teaching is interrupted and all of a sudden there's this, dude, I mean, can you imagine it here? Just some guy coming down from the ceiling and setting right in front of Jesus. And so here's the question is, why did the friends do this? What were they hoping out of it? I mean, what, was, what were they hoping would happen when Jesus puts his paralytic in front of them? What, were the, what was the paralytic hoping for? What were the people in the house hoping for? What were they hoping when Jesus lowered the paralytic? I'm asking, what were they hoping would happen? That he'd heal him, right? That he'd be able to get up and walk out of the house. That's what they wanted. That's what everybody in the house wanted more than anything else except for Jesus. Because Jesus knew this man's greatest need was not to walk again. Look with me in verse five. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, talking about all of the friends, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It seems like Jesus has missed the obvious. This man has not come here to have his sins forgiven. He has come here to be healed of a deformity in his body. And here we see the difference in priority between man and God. Jesus knows that our greatest need is not physical healing. It is a healing of our soul. It is the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you drive out today and you get in an accident and you are paralyzed, pray to God that he would heal you physically. Go ahead, that's fine. If you have, if you have a bad back or bad brain or whatever it might be, Feel free to pray, Lord, heal me. But know this, that is not your deepest need. Your deepest need is the forgiveness of sins. And that's why Jesus has come. Verse six continues and says, now the scribes, that's the religious intellect, were sitting here questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here's the thing, the scribes were not wrong. The scribes were right. You see, you can only forgive, a, a person can only, the person who can forgive is only one who has been sinned against. Let me, let me actually read that, make sure I say it right. You see, the only person that can grant forgiveness is the one who has sinned against. So let me give you this example. Since David Gallagher's not talking today, I can use him as an illustration. Let's pretend a guy named Joe Burns down David's brand new house that he just got, right? Burns down his house, his wife, his children, him. They're out on the street because this guy, Joe, burns down his house. Well, Joe is caught and Joe is remorseful. He is sorry that he has burned down David's house, cost him all of this turmoil, all this headache. What if I pulled Joe aside and I said, Joe, I forgive you. What would Joe say? Joe would be like, why are you forgiving me? I didn't burn down your house. Right, like I, 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 I'm not in the place to forgive him because Joe didn't sin against me. Does that make sense? I mean, I think David would be upset too. He'd be like, why are you forgiving him? He didn't burn down your house. The only person that can grant forgiveness is the one who is sinned against. And here's the thing that all of our sinful passions, all of our sinful actions, all of our sinful thoughts and words Every single one is a sin against our creator God. And so throughout the Old Testament, the only one that can forgive someone's sins is the one who has been sinned against, and that is God. 
And yet here Jesus is claiming to forgive this man of all of his sins as if Jesus were God. And this is blasphemy, punishable by death. Unless, unless it's true. Unless Jesus truly is God in the flesh. And only then can Jesus forgive this man's sins. Verse eight continues. It says, and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. So let me take a little bit of a survey here. What is easier for Jesus to say? I know it's hard to raise your hand when you're in a Presbyterian church, but let's, let's try it, okay? So, so who thinks it's easier for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Who thinks it's easier for Jesus to say, pick up your mat and walk? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Now, I saw a bunch of you didn't vote because you're scared you're gonna get, you know, whacked. But, but it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And the reason why it's easier to say your sins are forgiven is because no one can prove if you're lying, right? Like I could say to some of your sins are forgiven. There's no tangible proof to, to prove that I, that, 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 that I didn't forgive their sins. It's easier to say that your sins are forgiven And so Jesus wants to prove that this is true by telling the paralytic to take up his bed and walk, which is much harder to say. Because here's the thing. Imagine being in that room. Imagine Jesus says to the paralytic, pick up your bed and walk. What happens if the paralytic doesn't walk? Jesus' ministry is over. He's a sham. He's a con artist. We never hear about him ever again. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, but that you may know, this is the reason why he's doing it, pay attention, but that you may know that the son of man, talking about Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Right now, Jesus is putting everything on the line because again, if he doesn't get up and walk, Jesus' ministry is over. Verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And then listen how they respond. This is so important. It says, so that they, so that they were all amazed oh, and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this before. So just to recap, Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven. No one is amazed, no one is glorifying God, no one is applauding, saying that is awesome, Jesus forgave his sins. And then Jesus makes this man pick up his mat and walk, and everybody is celebrating. Why? Because they were amazed by the lesser miracle. They were amazed by physical healing, which is temporary, instead of forgiveness of sins which is forever. Again, friends, if you have physical ailing, pray that God would heal you. It's okay to do that. It's good to do that. But it's not guaranteed this side of heaven. If you're a Christian, you will be healed one day in heaven. It's not guaranteed this side of heaven. But rejoice in the greater miracle that is offered to all, that is offered to you, that Jesus is able and willing to accomplish on your behalf, which is the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, now and for all eternity. 
Now, how is this possible? How is the forgiveness of sins possible? You know, Jesus asked the question, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And we said, it's easier for him to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say, but let me ask you this. Which is easier for Jesus to do? To do, not to say, what is easier for Jesus to do? To forgive this man's sin or to have him take up his bed and walk? Well, it's easier for him to do is to have this man pick up his bed and walk because Jesus can just say the word. That's what he does. Pick up your mat and walk. It's easy. Jesus could have done that from heaven, right? I mean, he could have done it from heaven. He didn't have to come to earth to do that. But what is far harder for Jesus to do is the forgiveness of sins. Because for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus had to come into this world. He had to live a perfect life sinless life with all of the temptation, all of the despair. He had to live perfectly. And then he had to go to the cross and take on the leprosy of our souls, the leprosy of our sin, the punishment we deserve and pay for in full upon the cross to endure the wrath of God on our behalf to absorb the debt for our sin. And then raised on the third day in newness of life to conquer Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. You see, you cannot just forgive sin. You have to absorb it. If David says to this man who burned down his house, I forgive your sins, you don't have to pay me back for my house. David has to absorb the debt of his house. He has to pay for it. God can't just say, I forgive you. He has to absorb the debt of your sin, and he does that on the cross. And so while it is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, it is so hard to do, and only one can do it, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is able and willing to do that for you, because no matter what you think your greatest need is, your greatest need is this, the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. Let me end with this. <coughs> I've shared this story before. I can't remember how long I've shared it, um, but about 10 years ago, uh, I was, uh, my kids were younger, and one of my kids was just being a kid, not a big deal, but, but they thought it'd be fun to take a Sharpie marker and write on the, the utility door of the garage, right? And so they get up there and they draw this huge, it's not really even a painting because it's just like squibbles, right? All over the, the door, the utility door. And so, um, you know, I, I try so hard to get it off. I mean, I try all these detergents, these SOS pads, I try scrubbing off, and I can't, I can't get the, the magic marker off of my door because it's magic, I guess. I don't know, but I can't get it off. And so I just give up. I'm like, well, you know, whatever. I don't know what else to do. So, so life goes on. A <coughs> couple of weeks go by, and it's summer, beautiful summer day, if you can think of that. And I'm in my garage working in the shop there and, and maybe cleaning or whatever. And I see down my street there is this this woman coming my direction and she has this bright neon shirt on and she's going door to door uh, selling something. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I just don't like door to door salesmen or saleswomen. And so um, I'm literally, as she's coming my direction, thinking and praying, Jesus, how would you get rid of this person, right? Like, like how do I get rid of this salesperson in a way that's honoring to Jesus? Uh, because I really don't, I don't want anything to do with this, this person. Not that I hate them, I just, I just don't like this sort of stuff. Well, anyway, she comes up to the garage, and I'm in there, and I'm, I'm nice, I'm friendly, whatever. I hear like a two-minute spiel, and I just say, I'm not, I'm not interested. Uh, she's selling some cleaning solution of some sort. 
Um, and I'm like, you know, I, I really, I'm not interested, thank you, and blah, blah, blah. And she's persistent, not mean, but a little persistent, which is good, you need that. And, uh, and so finally I thought, you know what? If you can cleat the Sharpie off of this utility door, I'll buy whatever you're selling. I'll buy it, okay? If you can clean that, I'll buy it. I'm thinking, no way. No way is this gonna happen. And so, you know, she walks over, she has her rag and her magic juice, whatever it is, and she starts squirting the rag. She starts rubbing the door. Sure enough, the Sharpie's coming off. She cleans the entire door. At this point, I'm a little bit afraid because I told her I would purchase the product before I have any idea how much the product costs. And so I say to her, I'm like, okay, 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 how much does it cost? And she says, $700. And she goes, just kidding, it's 20 bucks. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Right? I'm like, I'll buy two. And so I buy these and they were great. I don't know what happened to them. It's 10 years ago. You know, maybe you have been scrubbing your dirty soul with good works, with self-help therapy, with all of these justifications, with a victim mentality. Can I tell you the secret? They don't ever work. They never work. And that's why Jesus has come. Because Jesus is the only thing that can cleanse your leprous and sin-stained soul. And he does this by his blood. Hebrews 9.22, which is on the screen up here, is a summary of today's passage in the spiritual realm. It says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified. Same word that's used of the leper. Everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Friends, this cleansing, forgiving blood of Jesus is gonna cost you nothing but it cost him everything. Will you come and purchase without price the precious blood of Jesus? Will you humble yourself, admit your dirtiness, and be cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus? Will you reveal yourself confessing your sinfulness and be forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus? Will you come in faith like a desperate leopard, like a lame paralytic to Jesus and experience his cleansing forgiveness? Here is the good news that Jesus is able and Jesus is willing. If you come to him, you will be clean. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we don't have to clean ourselves up. We're thankful that we can't clean ourselves up because we would try and we would fail again. But we are so thankful that you have come to make an unclean people clean as your precious bride and your cherished possession. May we come to the fountain of your blood time and again to be cleansed by it time and again that we might be holy and acceptable before you. We are so thankful that you did not leave us in our condition but that you have come to cleanse and forgive and to restore. We have so much to give thanks for today, Lord. We're so blessed by your grace. Pray that we would rejoice in your blessing. As we come to the table this morning, Lord, we are reminded that this cleansing agent of your blood 
is free to us, but it was not free to you. That it came by your own sacrifice for our sins. So God, we take it with great joy and rejoicing, knowing that though we may have come into this church dirty, through faith in you, we leave clean. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.